can you explain to our listeners who may not know, have any idea exactly what Juneteenth represents and what? Absolutely. And it sounds like, Michael, you, you, you were late to find out that the slaves have been free, just like a lot of the people in Texas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't know. I found out on Twitter, actually. This, what Juneteenth was all about. No, no, no. no. Oh, the, the slaves got free. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> <laughs> no. Welcome. Yeah. Wow. Dude, it's been a while, I guess, huh? Because you got a whole... No, it was just last week. Yeah, that's right. Last <laughs> week. Dude, you got a whole beard. Yeah. Wow, you're like a pirate. You're like I'm a, growing in in protest. Compared to our guest, you're like a pirate. You're like Blackbeard. <laughs> you know when I'll <laughs> shave my beard? Oh, <laughs> when are you going to shave your beard? When it's no longer me as the temporary co-host. <laughs> <laughs> when I become the permanent co-host. Okay, Santa. Yeah. No, right. That's not an A. I think you should really you're introduce gonna, the show. You're going to be Santa. Oh, yeah. We should get <laughs> this. is great. Welcome to Funny How Life Works, where we use funny to help you understand how life works. My co- I get to be Michael Jr. And then I have a um a co-host temporarily <laughs> <laughs> named Pacal. Oh man. He's a pastor and his name is Kyle. We call him Pacal. And you can't see, but his amazingly beautiful mom is here as well. She is I'm so dude, this is such a great surprise, <laughs> man. You brought hey, man. That's cool. Bring man. your mom to work day. <laughs> oh, that is that is great, man. Go, I guess we're not going to talk about your mama. Today, That's you right. That. Better watch what playing. you say. I don't talk about you. I don't. He talk about you. Eighty-one, about eighty-one years young, man. Eighty-one, man. Yep. We got almost want her to be on camera. His mom looks amazing. <laughs> I don't want it to be weird, but his mom, his mom, kind of fine. I'm oh, see, you know what? what? Did it get weird? Is that weird? When we were coming here, she said, "I read his book, and he had a really good father." And yeah, my was, dad's dope. I said, did you listen to the episode when we talked to his dad? Not yet. I'm going to send it to her. Uh, hey, my parents are going to be moving here, too. You're going to meet my parents. They're going to hang out with you. I can see you and my mom hanging out and really liking each other. Wow. Uh, not you, dude. You're staring at the stuff. Stop. I'm Get just saying. My mom, that's dude. news. That's like breaking news. No, that's dope. I'm excited. I'm to glad they're moving. This morning, man. So excited. Somebody got to keep an eye What have you been up to, Blackbeard? <laughs> Besides growing my beard? Yeah, dude. Growing beards and stuff. Running, swimming, biking, Ooh. sleeping, eating, running, hey, are swimming. You, are you sleepy? Because there's a bunch of naps right here if you need one. <laughs> wow. You got a, That's an old school joke. You got a nappy oh my beard. Goodness, man. <laughs> I feel like I just went back to fifth grade. <laughs> wow. That's fine. Uh, cool. Anyway, dude, Scent Church. You're the pastor of Scent Church. How's that going, man? Did they figure oh, out man. that you're not the one yet? I see. We just baptized a bunch of people. That's dope. But you know what I loved? What's that? I keep highlighting it. Man, we baptize African-American folks, white folks, Hispanic folks. Then we do this monthly dinner, dinner with a pastor, uh-huh. where people can come and meet the pastor if they're new. We had Nepalese, Indian, Brazilian, white, African-American. It's it just a It was the same person. Heaven. It was just one person. No, it man. It's two different mixed. groups of people. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome, <laughs> man. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so. so when you was baptizing all those different people, was it easier for the white people to go under than it was the black people. I'm just curious because <laughs> in general, that's my experience. It seemed like for me, and we're gonna find our host is gonna oh talk my about goodness about. I mean, he probably I not talk about swimming. That's a myth anyway. I didn't find a distinction. You know what was pretty cool was there was a dad who got baptized with his wife and his daughter, and well, his two daughters. But the dad and the middle school daughter both accepted Christ the same day in different services, and they didn't know each one was doing it. Wait, was I around for that? You were there that day. I was there. The middle schooler was up in student ministries, and the dad was in the main worship service, and each of them decided that day to follow Jesus. Man, that is dope. But they didn't know each one was going to be doing it. They didn't even know. Mm -hmm. I met them. They're from Louisiana. Yeah, and they're good cooks. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah, they know how to cook. Stuffed shrimp. That is dope, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited, yo. So... 
we want people to subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Yes, leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. I Not, saw that one recently. Did you see it? What one? Pastor Kyle is so awesome. And that Michael guy, he's all right. Did you see that one? That was, somebody left that review? I mean, I'm just saying, you got to yeah, go look at it. It was signed, it was signed <laughs> Petra. It was signed, your wife, your wife wrote it. Pastor Kyle was so awesome most of the time. No, you might okay. be asking yourself, what, what might they be asking themselves? What can they learn from three bald-headed and two bearded black men about... Two bearded? I got, I got some stubble. About race Life. relations in a Ooh. divided world. Wow, what are you going to learn up in here? You might be asking that question. We're well, about to find out. Okay. I love this podcast. You'll be laughing out loud and all of a sudden, boom, something that can really help you drops in your lap. I like it because I unexpectedly learn about life. It is so funny. I get to laugh and learn about life at the same time. I like listening to Funny How Life Works with the car of my parents. <laughs> with the car in my parents. Okay. Yo, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Don't forget to go to michaeljr.com slash extra, and I'm going to give you a free download of my comedy special. michaeljr.com slash extra, so you can laugh with your whole family and even watch it and enjoy it. Anyway, just go there right now and get the, well, finish watching the podcast. Other than that, I appreciate you. For real. I'm out. Boom. You said you got a non-sponsored sponsor. You went out with your mom. I did. Right. You, you made it sound like you took your mom out to breakfast. I did take her to breakfast. you took her to a fundraiser. It was a prayer breakfast. Yeah. You, where they prayed you, for generous donations. Free. At you didn't take end. her out. You oh, just got we, some free food and dip before they passed the plate. We, we paid. We were one of the sponsors. You were one breakfast. of the sponsors. When you say we, you mean the I church. I mean the church. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't pay anything <laughs> at all. I mean, That's people it. give to the church. In fact, I guess my mama paid for her own breakfast. She did. It was Traffic 911. Oh, that's a good TV show, man. What channel is that? Come on. <laughs> it sounds like a TV show, but it's not. Tell it was us a, they, they help rescue youth from human trafficking, yeah, sex trafficking. And it was this awkward moment in the breakfast where they said, this year we have rescued 177 young people. And you want to clap like, wow, but then it's incredibly sad that yeah. there was 177 youth that wow. they had to rescue from Scary, human trafficking man. so far. And we're not even halfway through the year yet. Man, that is scary. Right in this area. Yeah, right you don't know Texas. how to clap. Do you clap? Yay. Right. Wait a second. Right. They were taken. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay, so, well, hey, thanks for having scrambled eggs for and and, and taking your mom. Oh, that's so, such a pleasant. Anyway, our, we got a guest, and I'm super excited about. We're talking about, oh, leave a voicemail. 214-308-1177. Ask any question you want. Any question at all, we'll, can, we, we'll answer it on the air. You just say, Michael Jr., I was wondering when you're going to get a new co-host. I mean, just say, Michael Jr., I was wondering, and then leave your question, and we'll answer your question. It's going to be pretty dope. I'll just say, Michael Jr., I was wondering, what's the teaser giveaway at the end? Ooh, and we have a special gift we're going to give away at the end of this episode. We give some away almost every episode, but we're giving you something special, so you got to stick around to the end. Boom. You're going to intro our guest? Yes, our Ooh. guest has. We need to maybe call a, a white person just to. Because it's a three brothers, like we're a gang in some some communities. We are a gang because it's three of us. Well, I mean, or we could just interview a white guest next week. You know, keep it balanced. Nah. All right. Well, <laughs> you got somebody you want to call? You going to try and call Bob Goff again? Oh, yeah, I should call Bob Goff. Or Bubba Kathy. Hey, it's yeah, Bubba Kathy. Hey, it's Psych. Bubba <laughs> uh, we have a guest today that has delivered a I'm TED really Talk. excited. That has impacted people, just getting them to think about how they are opening doors of access to others, how they are helping people get to where they need to go. 
he has spoken on the topic of racism, race relations, and how to make room for people so that they feel known and that they really get to know others. Would you give a warm welcome to Cortland Warren? Yeah, good stuff, Cortland. Thanks for coming out, man. Appreciate it so much. Really, really appreciate it. Where are you based out of? Uh, home for me is Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I am uh, uh, really excited to be a part of the show. And uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely, man. So what sparked all of this? What, what first made you say, hey, this is where I'm going to get down at. This is my lane. Like, what was it for you? Was it an incident? Was it just a lifestyle? Like, growing up, what, what took place? It was a uh, it was a it was a life choice to of uh, really born out of confusion and uh, just uncertainty about uh, the place where I fit. Uh, mm. I, you know, I grew up in a small town in southeast Oklahoma. Ida Bell, Oklahoma has about 5,000 people. Oh, yeah, Ida Bell. Yeah, 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 yeah remember Ida we Bell went there and did that, that show. Man, you've yeah. never heard of Ida Bell, Oklahoma. <laughs> no, 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 Ida Bell. It's over, no, dude. Come on, Ida Bell. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's like, it's over there by um, Ida Bell. By Bertha May. <laughs> by, by Bertha May. It's by, it's, by, uh, it's by Stillwater, not too far from Stillwater. Right, I mean, a long <laughs> ways away. You four hours away. Okay, you yeah. four hours away on a good day. Oh, I've right. never heard That's of Ida Bell, Oklahoma. You never heard of Ida Bell? No, dude. Ida today. Bell. Actually, I thought he was talking about his auntie. That sounds like somebody. <laughs> We're going over. Ida how Bell how house big was else. Ida Bell? How many people lived in Ida Bell? Five thousand, if I'm right. Five thousand. Yeah, dude. Five, see, <laughs> <laughs> that's called a lucky guess. <laughs> no, he said it earlier. It's called listening okay. to the guess. Oh yeah, I, I should have listened. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so, so, you was, so imagine, you know, just growing up and, uh, you know, the and literally, I mean, even if we did like a Google Earth right now, not that you would have any other reason to, to vet me out, but the, the railroad tracks literally separate uh, the city. Do you remember your childhood address? Do you yeah. know who lives in that house now? My mother still lives there. Oh, oh your mom is there? Oh, snap. We about to see her outside in the garden just now. Look, you, you got to bring your mom to work that I'm going to tell you right now. So, look, if somebody knock on that door right now talking about a podcast from anywhere, it's trouble. <laughs> Does she have a dog? Might open, though. Say again? Does your mom have a dog? Oh, no. Okay. All right. No, she got, she, look, she got Jesus. Yeah. She got her Bible. She, you know, been divorced since I was four years old. And even when I've told her, mom, you need a, you need a man. You need a, like a dog, something. She, my man is Jesus. That's wow. Wow. So, so that's, that's, that's her, that, that is her, that is her life. And, uh, you know, that's the rock that she stands on uh, for sure. For oh, that's sure. pretty dope, man. Wow. Yeah, that man. is really dope. That's when was like, the last time you saw your moms? Oh, I saw her about three weeks ago. I still live in Oklahoma, so I'm, I'm because she doesn't have a dog or a man. It's right. you know, one of the reasons why you I still dog. live in Oklahoma. You the is dog to, is, uh, to check on her and do whatever is necessary. That's for sure. That's All good, right. man. That is yeah. Dope. I like that a lot. Can you ex explain to our listeners for those who don't know what is your Juneteenth? Like I remember when I first remember when you first found out about Juneteenth. I do. I thought it was just like a. Um, I thought it was like a summertime Black History Month thing. I didn't know the details of it. I was like, hey, we get the barbecue. Like, mm -hmm. I literally didn't even know what Juneteenth was. In fact, my first time ever performing on stage, ever, was at a Juneteenth festival in Grand Rapids, Michigan, next to the Gerald R. Ford Museum. Wow. My first time ever getting on stage on purpose. Now, I got on stage at the movie theater. 
my first time ever was at a Juneteenth festival. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I just thought about it right now. I don't think I've ever even mentioned that live on stage before. But can you explain to our listeners who may not know, have any idea exactly what Juneteenth represents and what? Absolutely. And it sounds like Michael, you 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 were late to find out that the slaves have been free, just like a lot of the people in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I didn't even know. Ju-. And a lot of people were like, it was just a, you know, it's kind of like 4th of July. It was just like a, it's a reason to picnic. It's a I didn't know. I found out on Twitter, actually. Just, what Juneteenth was all about. No, no, no. no. Oh, that's, the slaves got free. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> no. Sometimes, you know what, sometimes though, real talk, the mentality is like, uh, some people still haven't got the news, it seems like sometimes. Louisiana. So that's part of the reason why. I'm, you know, I do the work that I do, but it was uh, the, um, you know, the proclamation that, you know, slavery was uh, no longer um, legal. You know, a lot of that had to do with, you know, voting and uh, a, a president's desire to get more votes, frankly. However, that uh, Juneteenth was the declaration that uh, slavery was no longer legal and that, you know, they were free, you know, citizens. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, you know, that just, that sparked, you know, great debate. And then it went into, you know, what was, you know, Jim Crow and so forth, but it was the legal mandate that uh, slavery was no longer legal and that black people were free. Wow. So do you, I heard your Ted talk where you talked about the, the bombing of Greenwood, uh, Oklahoma, uh, black wall street. When you're out doing what you do, do you find yourself talking more about that? Do you find yourself talking more about Juneteenth? What, what occupies most of your speaking time these days? Mostly, uh, currently, it's it's uh, uh, Black Wall Street just because the 100th year, you know, it's, it's hard to call something like that an anniversary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, the 100, it's kind of like what you were saying a second ago. Say, hey, we free so many people, 100 and so, so people. But wait a minute. Like, that's still sad. You know, so it's hard to call it a, an anniversary because I yeah. think of anniversary like celebration. Celebration, yeah. Uh, but, but 100 years ago, you know, there in Tulsa, which is uh, still my hometown, uh, was when the events occurred. And it was so a lot recently you have like, you know, uh, the HBO series, uh, you have a number of professional athletes who are, you know, doing movies and documentaries around it. And it's, it's fascinating to me, the number of people that don't know the story. It's like, you know, when they learn that it wasn't, that it's not fictional, that there was literally an area in Oklahoma called, you know, Green, the Greenwood District and Black Wall Street, where there was more wealth being generated and circulated uh, there. Uh, it was on par with, you know, Wall Street in New York. Mm. And out of out of hatred and envy, it was hard. It was hard for people to, you know, well, white people to get that just one generation removed from slavery. These people who they saw as less than human, fractional human beings had uh, amassed and accumulated that much wealth and had that type of wealth in, uh, in circulation. And so, you know, out of, out of revenge and envy and resentment and, you know, pure hatred, you know, there was the, de- the destruction of, uh, of the Greenwood district where, you know, gap band, uh, you know, you dropped a bomb on you me. You dropped a bomb on uh, me. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe, Maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the Gap Band, uh, Greenwood, Archer, and Pine, that's the GAP in Gap Band, Greenwood, Archer, and Pine, those are three streets, they're in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, you know, there was literally, if you can imagine that, right, literally people, um, you know, chartering planes 
to go above ground and drop bombs on a uh, neighborhood. You know, if you can just, just uh, you know, just imagine that. And it all started from an elevator ride with a shoeshine guy and a 17-year-old elevator operator. And, um, you know, the destruction that wait, happened. Wait, wait, wait. Don't assume yeah. that the guests know exactly what took place with that. I mean, okay. I guess because we we know. I mean, you sent us a TED talk, but give everybody a little bit of insight on how, what sparked it specifically. What sparked was the uh, so you, so you have a a, a shoe shine kid. Uh-huh. He was an orphan, had a mentor, and uh, his entrepreneurial spirit was okay. What I what can I do to make money? He started shining shoes. They said he could shine shoes so well that you could see your reflection at the at the at, you know at the toe of your shoe. Uh, he goes to use the restroom across the street. What's interesting about that is when he goes, he goes to use the restroom and the building across the street, he goes to the top floor. And I usually would think of the top floor being the executive level, but Otis of Otis Elevator fame uh, had introduced the elevator, but the braking system wasn't so good yet. So the colored bathroom was on the higher floors just in case the brakes don't work that day. Right. So anyway, he runs in, he goes to the restroom wow. on the way down. Stop right there. He, that's yeah. Not bad. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. So so he goes up, uses the restroom on the way back down. There's a 17 year old white girl. Her name is Sarah Page. Uh, Dick Rowland is the kid's the black kid's name. As he's getting off the elevator, he trips. You know, he kind of, you know, bump, you know, just imagine bumping into a person or just slightly nudging them a bit as the door opens. And when when she, he does that, she makes just kind of a noise. And a person who was who saw that the door open when he heard the sound that she made, he looks over towards the elevator and, you know, Dick Rowland makes eye contact with him. And in that day, you know, 1921, it was it was it was a wrap. Right. So he runs out of there and he runs back to Greenwood. Well, when he goes to when he gets back to Greenwood, the police you know, finally follow because just from that incident, from what another, not from Sarah Page, from what the person who worked in that office, the Drexel, <clears throat> excuse me, the Drexel building, uh, what from what he observed and made up, he asserted that he had sexually assaulted Sarah Page. And so now all these vigilantes come into Greenwood looking to um, take matters into their own hands. Uh, they they arrest him. He goes to the Tulsa police um, station and they want him released into their hands. These vigilantes, the mob, mm-hmm. they want him released into their hands. Greenwood, right there, you know, these, uh, you know, self-empowered, like absolutely not. He'll stand trial. So they show up and when they show up to the courthouse, they see that there's already a whole lot more white folks than them. So they go back to Greenwood and get the posse, get the crew. Now they come back. Well, when they come back this time, there's even more. They leave again. And this time, uh, to make it short, this time what happened mm-hmm. when they left, now the, the white mob is afraid and they're, you know, they're going to call in people from all of these. Oklahoma has a lot of historically black towns. And so the thought was they're going to call in all of their buddies and friends from all these towns. We're going to be outnumbered. And so it was it was essentially, you know, beating them to the punch. And they go and they start to burn and 
you know, kill, uh, literally drop bombs on this neighborhood uh, because a, a riot uh, breaks out. Mm. The city of Tulsa calls it a massacre instead of a riot. They called it a race massacre for years because, you know, in, you know, legalese and, and, and so forth, you know, no civil suits or any level of reparations could ever be taken from the city for what happened as long as it's been a massacre. Now the work that's being done is to call it a riot so that, um, you know, a lot of what was lost or taken uh, can be, wow. you know, never be restored, but, you know, there could be some type of uh, wow. compensation. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Cortland, when you show up on the scene to speak, when you talk about these things, even for listeners now, people probably assume that you're about to talk about all of that from a place of bitterness and finger pointing, but that's not how you come at it. You come at it. I don't even think when I heard your TED talk, I don't even know if you use the word racism. You talked about perception bias on both sides and how that impacted the whole event. What is it that you end up talking about that brings reconciliation after you share that story? Well, what I and, and thank you for that, um, Pakail. Right. <laughs> what, what 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 happened? What I what I've come to know is that uh, there must be some uh, room or some space made or created for those who genuinely want things to be different and better uh, to have the conversation and discussion without feeling the guilt or blame. And so if, you know, if I'm, you know, a white person who, who sees the events and hears about the events and it's a tragedy, uh, they feel bad, terrible, whatever. And then are left with an idea of there's nothing I can do Mm -hmm. because a lot of the approaches are from a place of feeling, you know, guilt, or shame for what happened, even if they didn't. And so, you know, kind of tying it back to growing up in Idabel, you know, there was the east side of town, the west side of town. I was on the west side of town, but my mom was so strict and pressed, you know, education so much that in classes, I was always in the, you know, I was the only black kid in my classes. Most of my events that I speak at, I'm usually the only black person in the entire audience. So for a long time, I've kind of felt like I stand between black and white. And so when I go out to a lot of my audiences, I know or feel that I'm representing uh, the anti-stereotype of black men in those audiences. Mm-hmm. But then when I'm at home for family reunion back in Idabel, and I'm sitting under the tree having a beer, you know, with my uncles and my cousins, uh, you know, I find myself defending at times white people. Because their experiences, you know, so I'm like, well, you know, not all white people are that way. And when I'm on the road, I'm like, well, all black people aren't the way that you've made up. And so I found that I stand in the middle a lot of times of both. And I just over time have figured that what works is to approach it from a different, you know, different angle. That is brilliant. He's articulated. You're really articulating what I like. I'm in that same space often, like Mm -hmm. often, like I'm not like. I actually believe, and we, I guess we kind of want to jump in a little bit. Yeah, I actually believe that our history and or the the makeup, our our culture where we grew up, or our, the color of our skin, I actually believe it's a checkpoint. Mm-hmm. I actually believe God has that as a checkpoint to see if you can get past that place where that is so uh, uh, necessary for you to make any moves. So I have somebody I can't let me see how I can say without mentioning name. I have somebody who I'm close to who is a single mom and um, she's in our, me and my wife's 
sphere of influence, right? We have some influence over mm-hmm. her. And when she first came from where she lived <laughs> to where she is now under our covering, she was very um, black power-ish. I shouldn't say mm-hmm. black power-ish. Like, here we got mm-hmm. I mean, she was all about... She would often refer to white people. She'd be like, "What? See, what white people try to do is what white people." But if you give another race that much power, that means you don't have any power. Mm-hmm. Like if you always blame, if the default is to blame. So this is what I said to her. She would always, and in fact, her dad did the same thing. So I used to be a single dad of three, and mm-hmm. uh, when I was getting custody of my kids, I remember my this guy who I really respect a lot said to me, "Hey man, you're gonna get a black lawyer, right?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "A black." <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get my kids. I don't know what color the lawyer going to be. I don't yeah, know what right. he's going to look. I don't know what color he's going to I want the best one. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, but mm-hmm. you're going to get a black one, right? I said, I'm not getting the best black one. I'm not getting the best white one. I'm getting, I want my kids. Yeah. And then he was like, nah, man, you got to. And I was conf- like, me and him, and we, I love, love, love this dude, but I just fully didn't agree with that. And like even a little bit, especially when it comes to my kids. So I said to her, which is his daughter, I said, let me ask you this question. I said, if, because she has two kids, one is like seven and the other one is like uh, two years old. Mm-hmm. I said, imagine if there's a burning house and your seven-year-old is in the house and you have to run in there to save her and you holding your two-year-old and you got to give your two-year-old to one of these kids, one of these people standing by. One of them is black, one of them white, and one of them a Christian. And you got to go now. Where are you? Who are you going to get a kid to? And without even thinking, because I added a lot to the story, like the house is burning right now, mm-hmm. she, gave a, she gave a baby to the Christian. She said, I give it to the Christian, I'm just going to get my baby. I said, what color was the Christian? She's like, I don't know. I, don't know. Yeah. So, I said, so in the heat of the moment, that didn't even play a role. Mm-hmm. You didn't say, hey, I'm going to give it to this black, because you don't even know. Like you, you didn't just give it to the black person and give it to the white person. You went to somebody where you could get at least a peek at their heart. Yeah. So why not eliminate that as in life as much as you can? Now I do not like it when people, because we all hear it when white people say, "Hey, I'm colorblind." Yeah. Like, really? How you find your car? Right. Like, how you, <laughs> <laughs> you can't not acknowledge it. There's a that is not a compliment. I don't think I don't see color is not a compliment. Not right. Even a it essentially bit. says that in order for you to tolerate me or accept me, wow. you have to like I have to be invisible to you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like like what, whatever your frame of who I am and who my people are. In order for you to see me and appreciate me and respect me, I have to be invisible to you. Man. It's not a compliment. I'm going to tell you why I like this dude so much. Because most of the time you had these conversations with people, Coral, I'm going to let you know, like I could tell we're on the same wavelength in some significant ways. Most of the time when, I ha- when somebody is, like you've made a career out of making this clear for people, right? I can clearly mm-hmm. see that. So, and most of the time what will happen is because people will approach you either super apologetic on one end and even argumentative on the other end, right. it can taint your positioning on it mm-hmm. where you start mm-hmm. to either pick a side, even not knowing that you've picked a side to some degree, because there could be money made on one side or the other and just saying, yo, this is what, this is how we do. Like, but I could right. clearly tell by the way you articulate it, that's not the case for you because some people are for justice and mm-hmm. some people are for just us. Mm. which mm-hmm. is comp- yeah. which is a different like dude i'm i'm just i'm pumped about what you're bringing in a significant way so you want to go off the cuff you want me yeah. to go off the cuff? oh you want to do it yeah i'll go off the cuff okay so just so you know Cortland, what we do here is we take something that we just learned 
from our mm-hmm. guests and we'll randomly go off the cuff on it. So he's choosing to go off the cuff and give the people something to walk away with. The off the cuff moment that I'm going to go off the cuff on is that moment where uh, Cortland and Michael were talking about how there's money to be made on either side. There's money to be made being argumentative and finger pointing and there's money to be made on the other side. And oftentimes, like in life, the truth is found somewhere in the middle, in the tension. Like if you can find your way to navigate the tension and not let the world pull you to one side or the other, that's where a lot of the gold happens. So often mm-hmm. people feel like when events happen in our culture, when events happen in their lives, that they have to choose sides. So whether there's a police shooting or there's some other act of terrorism or violence, we so quickly choose sides that we sometimes even forget to grieve. We sometimes even forget to empathize with those who have been victimized and we wanna go and declare which side we're on. I wanna challenge people to try and figure out how to live in that tension. Jesus lived that way. He loved people, but he called people to holiness. And so there's truth that's in the tension. Try and live in the tension. That is dope. Wow. That's the off the cuff doggone moment. That was, I give it a three. Anyway, um no longer co I mean now he's not the no longer temporary co-host off the yeah, Put some phlegm in your throat when you say him. that. No longer. Yeah, yeah. The better they get, the more likely I am. Co-host. To, the, the more the better you get, the more likely I am to find another co-host. Okay, so hey, so we do this thing where we do a um we have a giveaway, but then we have one more thing we want to do with you, Cortland. So uh, the giveaway is, what's the... what's The, the giveaway? Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, this is going to feel like a detour, but the press-in exercise you do, mm-hmm. press-in, you often talk about in the context of marriage, but I think it's so relevant to what he talked about It today. is, yes. There's a lot of people... When who, you're offended ooh. by another ethnic group, by another cultural group, oh, by something, great. someone says... Yeah, you press into it. So what you want to do, even what Cortland was just saying, like... Mm-hmm. This stuff is great because if you press in, you might find that there's something there from your past that you could actually deal with right now in a way that could set your kids free, even if you don't have kids yet. Mm-hmm. And so how do they get the press so in? So the way you get press in is go to microgenier.com slash press in and we'll send you a video that explains you exactly how to press in, how to get free by not changing. Peace doesn't come from changing your circumstances. Peace comes from not allowing your circumstances to change you. And the press in process will actually help you do that. Now we're going to do a question generation generator. So Corlin, here we do. We, um, we're going to ask you a random question. We got a question mm-hmm. generator here, but what you got to do is you like spinning a wheel. So you put your hand up like this and then you just spin the wheel and it's going to spin. Just spin it whenever you want. Boom. Good job. All right. It's spinning and spinning and spinning. And the question <laughs> is, what does that say? Can't even read it. Oh, there it is. Ooh, oh, his mom is still alive. What's something your mom or dad does that you always find yourself doing? Oh. Praying. Oh, oh cool. Okay. You got something a little less spiritual? No, <laughs> 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 uh, that I mean, I just, you That's know, dope. and then where, where my mom, you know, I, I'll shout mom, uh, what I find her doing that uh, she's a second grade teacher. And so she, oh, when she I first know. started, she worked with the at risk kids. And one of the first things that she did within the school system that she worked, uh, she required that the school board not refer to her class of kids as the at-risk kids. Man, uh, come on, so, dope. Yeah, and so she, uh, so what she does is she sees in people what they're capable of long before they see it, and uh, I find myself doing that a lot. Uh, that's wow. that's the work that I do. 
That's and awesome. He, when you said that, it made me realize the kids who were in classes where they're, called, where they're referred to as gifted, when you're, mm-hmm. whenever you call a kid gifted, they're less likely to really put in the work. Mm. So technically, right. they're at risk as well. Mm. It's just a different jeopardy. Wow. Dude, that is beast mode, man. They're actually more at risk from the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, I read that book. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she speaks to that. Like when you tell a kid, you know, you're smart, you're smart, you're smart, you're gifted, then whenever they come up against something that they don't get right away, they think they something's wrong it. with them, and yeah. they tend to not persist as much. They give up easier. Yeah. You're much more, uh, uh, you, you serve them better. If you let them know that, you know, man, you worked really hard on that. You put a lot of effort in that. And so just look, shameless plug. My youngest son just got home uh, from his first year of uh, college mm-hmm. and uh, he was uh, sharing his grades. And this is the first time ever mm-hmm. he made a 4.0. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really proud wow. of him. First year of college. I talked to him a whole lot less. And so when we talked about it, he's like, Dad, for the first time, I was making grades because I wanted to right. versus somebody pushing me. That's so great, man. Uh, wow. it works. But I but he can count on two hands or on two fingers the number of times I ever told him how smart he was. Ooh, I always, after reading that book, I would say, I would remind him of the effort that's required to get what he wants. Dude, you are awesome. Thanks so much for doing the show, man. We appreciate you so much. <laughs>